0: Praise God. Our text is taken from Second Kings chapter seven, verses three to 10, another one of those Old Testament stories that God placed in the Bible to teach us many, many, many powerful spiritual principles. The sermon is about stepping into a place where salvation, where deliverance, where redemption and blessings are possible learning to step into that place, beginning with verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord has caused the Arameans to hear the sound of the chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. They took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were powerful story. You know, I had the gospel vividly illustrated to me when I was 16 years old. You see, in order to come uh, to the United States, we all had to be vetted really, really thoroughly. We had to get an FBI clearance. We needed to prove that we were good people to be able to come to the U.S. And it's a very grueling process. At the age of 16, I had to go and get that clearance. So I went to the federal building. And, uh, and had to line up on one of the four or five long lines that were there for different reasons, for different purposes. And I did not know which line to line up to, so I just picked one and stayed there until I could get to the end and ask if I was in the right line, because there was no sign. Remember, this is a third world country, and you know it's a very tropical, uh, very hot. You know, very disorganized system that they had over there. So as I was lining up, you know, I could feel the heat. I was sweating. I was hungry. I didn't know where I was in the right line. And then there was this security guard that spotted me. And he came up to me and asked me, how old are you? And I said, 16 years old. He shook his head. He said, come and follow me. And he took me to this one office building just a few steps away from those long lines. And when we got in, there were about two or three other kids in there. Incidentally, that's the office where they process the paperwork for minors, for, for kids. And so I went on one of the windows, and the lady who was at the window looked at my papers. She went ahead and stamped something on it, signed it, gave me a copy, and said to me, you're all done. The whole thing took like 15 seconds, and I was in line for almost two and a half hours. And so, <laughs> and so the lady looked at me, and, and she said, how old are you? I said, uh, 16 years old. Oh, okay, so uh, are you hungry? And I said, absolutely, because I've been standing in line for three and a half hours, or two and a half hours at a time. She said to me, come on over. Let me go buy you lunch and then send you on your way. So she did. And I was a young Christian at the time. I was just newly born again. I became a Christian at the age of 16. And that incident in my life uh, illustrated for me what the gospel looked like. I was in a terrible situation. I was in a lot of heat, (laughs) literally. Somebody pointed me to the right way. And when I got to that place, to that right place, not only did I get what I needed, I also got a lunch out of the deal. And I'm here to submit to you, that's the picture of the gospel. At one point in our lives, we are all in a really bad place. Before we heard the message of the gospel, somebody had to point us to the right place way somebody had to put us and show us the right direction and once we got what we needed and that is the salvation that the gospel proclaimed not only do we get that but we also receive a life of blessing i want to tell you that god just doesn't just save us he just doesn't deliver us he also blesses our lives When we enter that redemptive relationship with the Lord, we not only get what we need, we get much more than what we need. He just doesn't save us. He just doesn't deliver us. He also blesses our life. And that's the essence of the gospel of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is free, but it's a costly enterprise. God cost him his one and only son. Unless we understand the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done, we will not have an appreciation of what we have received from him. The salvation and the redemption of our souls that we receive and the blessed life that he has given along with that salvation. When I talk about being blessed, when I talk about Of course, when I talk about receiving salvation and blessing, I'm not simply talking about uh, saving us from our troubles. I'm talking about saving our souls. I'm talking about restoring our relationship with God, reconciling us with God, redeeming us, paying for the separation so that we can be reconciled. And when I speak about being blessed by God, of course I'm not speaking about just the material blessings and the provisions that we receive from the Lord. I'm speaking about heavenly blessings. I'm speaking about spiritual blessings, peace, joy, courage, patience, endurance, confidence, and a a host of all other qualities that only God's Spirit can form within our hearts. That is so important and we, ne- we should never neglect the fact that we receive such a great salvation. And not only that, because of God's grace and God's mercy, not only did we receive the salvation of our souls that when we die we get to heaven, we also received abundance life, An abundant life, a blessed life, a life that we know is a life that gives us that sense of hope and security, knowing that in times of trouble we can receive joy. In times of great testing, there's confidence, there's courage, there's patience, there's endurance, and most of all, there's confidence and there's gratitude in our hearts. And I think we can never overemphasize that when it comes to talking about what we receive from the Lord, the moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, like anything else, if you read the Bible, when God promises redemption, when God promises deliverance, when God promises a blessing, there is a catch. And don't you ever believe for a moment that there's no catch? In our salvation. It's too good to be true, Pastor. You mean to tell me I get to receive salvation for my soul? And you get, you get to tell me that I get a blessed life for nothing? Mm. Like I said, the gospel is free. God's grace is abundant. But it's costly. There is a catch. There is a cost. And that cost are twofold. Complete surrender on our part and complete trust. You want to receive that deliverance? If I want to receive that deliverance and that blessing in my life, I need to do two things. I need to completely surrender and I need to completely trust. These are the two keys to receiving salvation, receiving deliverance, and receiving the blessing. This is very important. God does not give access to his blessings without surrender. And God doesn't give access to our deliverance without complete trust. So remember the day when you became a Christian. Remember that day. I've always said to you, when you became a Christian, you know when that happened. We have to know when that happened. You cannot just assume, hey, I've always been a Christian all my life. No such thing. There has to be a point in your life when you actually said, I surrender. That's why in the church that I grew up in, a large church that I grew up in, never fails. I attended that church throughout my childhood. And at the end of every service, the pastor will give an altar call. And he will always ask the musician to play just one song. I surrender all. And I thought that was just, you know, tradition, it's ritual. You know, the guy just wanted to get some emotional response from people. You know, a few years later, I realized, no, the guy was smart. He was very smart. He's actually trying to tell people, there's a catch. You want salvation, you want redemption, you've got to surrender. You've got to trust. If you don't want that, You're not going to receive it. God will never drag you against your will. Remember that. God will never drag anybody against their will and take them to heaven. We need to make a fundamental choice to surrender and to trust. Okay? There's a price to be paid. In almost every instance in the Bible when God provided deliverance and blessing, we always had to do our part. After God has done his part. You remember the story of Noah. God said to Noah, I will send the rain and I'm going to save your family from the flood. But there's a catch. You have to build an ark. Right? Or you remember the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. God said to Joshua, I'll give you that land. The the walls of Jericho is yours. I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to deliver that city into your hands. But there's a catch. You have to go march around it seven times. And at the seventh time, you're going to have to blow that trumpet and the walls are going to come down. Even in the New Testament, Jesus said Lazarus is not dead. He was only sleeping. And then Lazarus literally died and Jesus went up to the tomb. And you know what? Something peculiar happened in that story, right? Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was no doubt about that. He was going to do that. But what did he say to the people around him? Roll away the stone. Now, if a guy can raise a dead person, why couldn't he roll the stone himself? Point is, there is his part and there's our part. Surrender and trust. And that's exactly what this story in 2 Kings says teaches us okay it'll take nothing less than complete surrender and unconditional trust to receive from god and we see that unfold in the story of these four lepers of second kings chapter 7 verses 1 to 10 i love this story because it it rarely mentions the name of god it rarely mentions, you know anything that has to do with god it it does give us very clearly what god did it very clearly show us how these lepers responded in surrender and trust in their situation and how God actually redeemed and delivered them and blessed them at that moment. Let me give you a little bit of a background and a context to what was happening. Let me set the stage for this story. The nation of Israel by this time had been d- a divided kingdom. The northern part of the kingdom of, I- of the kingdom of Israel is called Israel and the southern part, of the kingdom of Israel is called Judah. So one nation divided into two. To the north is Israel. They retain the name. There are ten tribes that belong to that, to that kingdom of Israel. And then the split happened with two tribes, with the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. They comprise the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah. Okay. So there was division, and that division was caused of the cause of their division was their consistent rebellion against God and the consistent disobedience and wickedness of the kings that have ruled the nation. Okay, So by, by this time, eventually, they were exiled. They were defeated, and they became a, a, a nation that was scattered all over the place. And by the time that this story took place... Uh, they were in the verge of being attacked. The nation of Israel was in the verge of being attacked by another king. Uh, king Joram uh, was was the reigning king of Israel at that time. He was the son of Ahab. You know, he ruled in the northern kingdom, and his kingdom was about to be uh, defeated by the Arameans and the Syrians at this moment. The the prophet uh, uh, in this period of time in the Old Testament is the prophet Elisha. And because of their wickedness, the Lord caused Israel to fall into the hands of the Arameans and they lay siege on Israel's capital of Samaria. Okay? In addition to being siege, the land was also being devastated by a brutal famine which resulted in desperate acts by the people. There was no food, there was war going on, there was nothing you can buy. It was the, the place was just in severe, severe darkness that people are resulting into all kinds of terrible, terrible things. In fact, uh, this was prophesied in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, you know, the <laughs> if you read Deuteronomy 28, God already said this will happen if they, they disobeyed him as a nation. So this was nothing that God had not warned them about. This was coming, and they knew it. And it finally happened here 500 years later. In fact, if you look at chapter 6 of, of, of this verse in Second Kings, I'm just going to read you a portion of it, of what's really going on, to give you a taste of what's happening in that land. Uh, verse 24 of chapter 6. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in that city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the winepress? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we will eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. That's how bad it got because there was a war They're under siege, and there was famine in the land. People resulted into cannibalism. Why? Because the head of a donkey can cost you 80 shekels, and I don't even know what the equivalency of that is, but it was a lot of money for a dirty animal, okay? And they were eating even uh, uh, animals' dung. They were so hungry, and they resulted to cannibalism. And in that particular scenario, that's where we find these four lepers in the story. They were in a Very precarious situation. They were caught between a rock and a hard place. They were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. They were caught in a catch-22. Name your idiom. They were in it. They have very, very limited options. This is a true story. This is a historical event. It happened so that God can teach us spiritual truths. Okay, first of all, these men were lepers. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of our spiritual condition outside our relationship with God. Leprosy has just been that kind of an uh, illustrated that way in in the Bible. It's a picture of our spiritual condition outside of our relationship with God. This story confronts us to see our situation outside of God's blessing. Now it was the decision of these four lepers as we will see in the story. Their decision to completely surrender to God and offer their unconditional trust to God that became the road to their deliverance and capturing the blessings of God. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to emphasize here. A couple of points here. Number one, the road to our deliverance and the door to God's blessings happen when, number one, when we confess that we are On a losing battle. When we confess that we are in a losing battle. Again, look at verses 3 to 4. Again, these four lepers looked at their situation. You can read it for yourself. They were in the middle of a war zone. In front of them was the city of Samaria. That was the enemy territory. Behind them was was the enemy as well. They're sitting in, in a city where there's a severe famine. The enemy is encamped behind them, and the city is under siege in front of of them. And on top of that, not only were they dealing with war, not only were they dealing with famine, they were also sick. They were lepers. And the first thing they realized when they looked at their situation is this. They said to themselves, we are at a dead end. We are not going to win This battle. There's no way out of this. If we go to the camp, we're going to die. If we go behind, if we retreat back, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. Okay? So they said, let's just go move forward. Let's go to the enemy camp. There's a possibility there that they will kill us, but there's also a possibility that they may give us food. Now, I want you to, to, to look at that situation because the only way out for them was to admit that there was no way out of their situation. It's kind of a strange thing if you look at it. But that's exactly what God wants to see in each and every person when it comes to coming to the gospel. We got to admit, we got to confess that we are in a losing battle. The key to their victory over their situation, was that they confessed and humbled themselves and they said, there's no way I can win this battle. Surrendering, confessing that we are in a losing battle is an act of faith. It's not an act of weakness. It's not an act of, you know, despair. It's simply coming to grips with the fact that unless God saves us, there's no way for us to move on in life. Okay, that's what happened to you when you got saved. That's what happened to me when I got delivered from my sin. That should be what happens to anyone who comes to faith in Jesus. You know, we have a, a, a gospel nowadays that's that, that being packaged so that it's an easy thing to absorb, okay? Uh, you know, we're being given a promise that, hey, you know, you just put your trust in Jesus and, you know, come to faith in Jesus, come to Jesus. You have to have a come to Jesus moment and everything will be fine after that. Not that simple, I'm sorry to say, the gospel is good news, amen? But nobody ever talks about the gospel being bad news. The gospel is both good news and bad news. It's good news because when we surrender to God and we completely put our trust in Him, we will be delivered, we will be saved, and we will be blessed. But when we reject the offer, we will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. That's part of the gospel. And to recognize that we are in a losing battle when it comes to saving ourselves, that's the first sign that we're on our way to a victorious life, to a life that God has promised we will have. God sees all of us in the same light. We need to acknowledge and confess our powerlessness and humble ourselves. That's the beginning of deliverance. There has to be that Point in your life and mine where we say to ourselves, I've been trying to live this life on my own strength. I've been trying to live this life and make decisions out of my own wisdom, out of my own smarts, out of my own experience. And God says, Yeah, you may have those experiences, but trust me, it's not going to lead towards deliverance, towards salvation. Nobody in this place can save themselves. Only God can offer deliverance and salvation, and he does it through Jesus.